Welcome in to episode six of the House of L podcast. My name is Lawrence Holmes, and I'm excited about this episode and this subject matter that we're going to get into. Before we get into this week's guest, I wanted to yet again thank our friends over at Melly Cafe. They have three locations where you should go check them out. Halstead and Jackson, right there in the heart of Greektown. It's a great area, great place to go hang out in the morning, go get breakfast, go get brunch. You could also check out their location over on Grand and Wells or on Congress in Dearborn, too. Great place to have a breakfast or a brunch meeting. If you're looking for a place to do that, Melly is the place to do it. They treat you right. They do fresh squeezed juices over there. I can highly recommend the French toast. I can also highly recommend the crepes. My wife likes the Nutella crepes. If you're into that, they've got that for you, too. Incredible breakfast, lunch, and brunch. Melly Cafe. And you can follow them on Twitter and on Instagram at Melly Cafe Chicago. And that's M-E-L-I. So, this week's guest. I've been dying to talk with Kyle Higgins. And you're saying, I don't know who Kyle Higgins is. Some of you do. If you follow me and you understand the origin of the name House of L, for example, that probably means that you're a a fairly high-level comic book geek. And Kyle Higgins is a comic book writer. He has been a comic book writer for a long time. On, On top of that, he's also a director. And I know that he's right now working on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So he's got a lot of irons in the fire. He was the writer on one of my favorite books, the the Nightwing book back in the day and the Nightwing New Order now, which is something that we're going to get into. The reason I wanted to talk to him is because, one, I wanted to be able to geek out on this podcast occasionally. The other reason is because he's got a point of view. And what's interesting throughout this conversation is you'll find out that working on comic books and even working on movies is similar to other lines of work and some of the the pitfalls that go along with it. I really had a blast talking with Kyle. I I really enjoy him. I think that he is funny and acerbic and and sometimes profane here on this podcast. We're gonna I, I got the letters from everyone. I got the notes saying you know, don't bleep stuff out, just let it ride. All right, we're going to let it ride, and you're going to hear some of that from from Kyle in this upcoming sit-down interview. If you're a geek and a comic book fan, I think you're going to love this. If you're not a comic book fan, I think that you're going to dig this conversation. It's really interesting to see how that world works from the inside, and Kyle has a great, great insight into the business. The other thing is he's a local guy. He grew up in the Chicagoland area. So we got the chance to hang out. I had a couple of tickets for the Cubs game, so I sent him to the Cubs game. And he had a good time there. And it was fun to talk about all sorts of stuff that has that's related to Chicago, not just the stuff about his comic book. By the way, his comic book, Cal, if you're a worker, I think that you will dig on that. So... Sit back and relax. Enjoy yourself. This is a fun conversation. It has a lot of meat in it. It's me and Kyle Higgins on the House of L podcast. I literally took the Rock Island uh, train in from Mokina and then took uh, the L up 
to Wabash and Washington. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's no, right. Wabash and Washington. And then walked, stopped in to uh, Graham Crackers. Right on. Which I have a story about. Not today, but in general. And then I just went to Millennium Park and grabbed a beer, and I rewrote some Power Rangers pages. That's a pretty productive day. Well, I wrote this morning as well. I wrote uh, pages on my dead hand book this morning. How much writing do you do in a day? Are we recording yet, or are we? Yeah, we're. I oh, mean, we are. All, all of it's recorded. Oh, okay, great, great. I, I, I never liked. I just want to just talk, and then sure. usually, like the conversations just happen. Sure, it snaps in. Okay, um, on an average day, well, it depends because I prefer. Uh, I don't even know. Like it's. It kind of you probably have this too. Like you, it morphs over time where you start off and you're just like a raw nerve, and you're just like do it because this is what I'm supposed to do, and you're still infatuated with the very idea of the work. And then over time, it's like, hey, this is really hard. Like, and this takes a lot out of me. And uh, maybe there's politics at play as well. The higher up you get within the industry you're in. And so you start to lose some of the love of it, and then you you can become less productive. I, I know that, like, I, I've actually sought out writers over the years, like, especially when I was starting out, that I really looked up to, and all of a sudden these people would talk to me as peers because I started very young as a, as a comics writer. And so I would get different advice from different people, and I remember, <clears throat> I remember Ed Brubaker telling me that he – used to write for years uh, when he was doing monthly books. He would write five pages a day because by the time, or maybe it was even four. It may have even been four. Because when you were, I remember him telling me specifically when he got to page two, which you can hack out two pages like pretty easily. By the time you got to the bottom of page two, you're halfway done. So then it's just push through and get those last two pages done. And then by the end of a week, you have a 20-page comic book. So it was a, a manageable, it was like doing it in manageable bite-sized chunks. Now, that's great in theory, and I try to do that. I try to do about five pages a day in theory. The problem is the more projects you're on because there's no money in comics, spoiler alert, <laughs> the more books you're on uh, and the more projects as a, writer, as a writer you're juggling, the higher the likelihood is that there's going to be a fire that comes up that you have to put out. So you have to drop stuff. And so that perfectly laid plan that you've come up with, you know, it, it goes out the window because not only are you maybe putting out fires or dealing with notes or dealing with notes from people who are giving notes to your publisher in the case of something like Power Rangers, you're then also dealing with different passes on a script that you may have done some work in the past to get it to the point where the artist can draw it, and maybe you cut some corners and you said, well, present day Kyle is tired and behind on deadline, so he's going to leave some of this really intricate dialogue work for future Kyle, and that'll be his problem. Then all of a sudden future Kyle becomes present day Kyle, and present day Kyle thinks past Kyle's an asshole because now he's got to write this really like intricate like dial, and he's just like, oh, and you know like the plan's gone. So it depends. It, it it varies basically is the I write every single day. Every single day. When did you figure out that this is what you wanted to do? It's not what I want to do. It, uh, really? Yeah, that's that's the big that's the big twist, I that's guess. That's the reveal. 
Yeah, uh, I never wanted to do it. So how do how do you end up ass backwards into writing comics if it's not what you wanted to do? Um, it's a little convoluted. Um, I guess. I mean, look, I can say that now that I never wanted to do it, and, and that's a bit reductive because there was probably a, a small period of time. I remember as a sophomore in high school where I was drawing um, in like biology class or physics or something like that and thinking like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do a, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to do a comic book. And so trying to figure out how to draw comics and um, then realizing like, yeah, this is really, really hard and I'm not really good at this. I mean, I always drew growing up and through high school, but not at a level where it was, um, it, it, you know, if you looked at it, you wouldn't say, hey, with some work, this guy could do this for a living. Like, it just didn't come necessarily naturally to me in, in, in that way. Um, but I would write things for that, right, because I needed material to draw. And going back even further, I would write for these little like short films that I would make with my dad and my sister. My dad's a photographer. Uh, my sister, you know, was my sidekick. She's three years younger than me. And so at a certain point, probably around the age of like eight, I realized like, hey, we have a video camera. Like that means like we could make movies too, you know? And so we would make uh, little Superman short films and we'd make Ninja Turtles short films and Power Rangers eventually and I would write material for that to shoot. But writing to me was always something that I felt like I didn't have a, a strong enough handle on uh, life that I really had anything interesting to say. And I think that's true for most people, like whether they realize it or not. Uh, the trick is to A, push through that, and B, figure out what it is that's unique to you uh, that maybe you didn't realize was unique to you because all of a sudden you have a perspective on something. It doesn't matter how small it is. You have a perspective on something that is unique. And that's where you can do some work that all of a sudden is very specific. And it's not, you know, it's not cliched student short film of, you know, I mean, I could throw out a million topics here that... Well, so so if if I don't mean because I mean we're we're becoming friends. I don't know you mm -hmm. as well yeah. as as most do. Would it be fair then to say that your geekiness lies in film versus comics? No. Um, so I am a huge comic book fan as well, um, and I grew up with superheroes. I grew up in the southwest suburbs, uh, fairly close to you actually. Uh, I grew up in Homer Glen okay, and went to Lockport High School. And quick aside. Uh, my, Were you there with CM Punk? Are you guys around the same age? I was a few years younger, but I have known and went to school with, since kindergarten, Brad Gazan, who is the goalie for the U.S., one of the goalies for the U.S. national team. Uh, and I'll take you even further on a tangent uh, because I just got a text from him because I told him I was doing this. Uh, my cousin is Kevin Egan. No way. Yes, from Ireland. That's He's like one of my favorite people he ever. He is the sweetest, most talented guy on the face of the planet. And it's so funny because he and I will fall in and out of touch. Wow. He's, 
He, my mom's sister's son. So I've known Kevin since I was, I mean, you know, four or five years old, something like that. Now they lived in Dublin and they would come over, he and his, Mike, and his brother Michael and his sister Mary and his other sister Kate, and they live, his, his, uh, his mother, so my mom's great aunt, uh, lives, she still lives in Wrigleyville off of Addison. And so we would go up there all the time as kids. We'd never go to Cubs games because I grew up a White Sox fan, but we would park up there all the time. We'd go see them. I'd drive by the stadium. I was like, can we go in there? No, hard no. (laughs) Hard no on that. Hard no. (laughs) You know, um, but, uh, and and a few years ago, I remember, this is probably, God, six, seven, maybe eight years ago, Brad was playing for uh, Aston Villa, and Kevin was a huge Aston Villa fan. And I remember being in a car with him in Chicago with, I think my mom was driving. We were going, she was driving us off somewhere to like go see a movie. Like, and it wasn't at, um, where the hell was it? I think, it doesn't matter. But it, it was somewhere really cool, like a, a brew pub kind of movie theater thing. And we were mentioned, my mom's like, well, you know, Kyle went to school with, and he lived around the corner from us, Brad Gazan. And we would have went to high school together, but he went to Providence. I went to Lockport. And Kevin, like, geeked out, you know. And he wasn't in the industry yet at all. He, I think he was still in college. Or maybe he had – I don't know what he was doing. It, again, it depends on what year it was. He's like, I'm a huge fan of Brad. You know, he said Guzan, you know, Guzan. And I, and I told him, like, well, he's – and I texted Brad. And I was like, my cousin in the car with me is a huge – you know, fan of yours, et cetera. And Brad smiled and thought that was cute and everything. Fast forward to today. This is how out of the loop I am. Kevin's the play-by-play guy for Atlanta and yes. Brad's the goalie. Yeah. Like it's such a small world and a sm- even smaller industry. Like the way it all kind of and And the fact around. that I worked with Kevin. That's what he told me. I didn't know that. I saw, I. I <laughs> That's so crazy. Kevin and I were texting today or I saw Kevin tweet something on, or put something on Twitter and I clicked on his profile, and I saw you followed him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you know Lawrence? I'm, I'm doing his podcast. And he's like, I worked with him at the station. I love Lawrence. I can show you the, I can show you the text message. Well, that's super nice because I loved yeah. him too. Like he, uh, he helped really increase my level of care and love for soccer. He said, legend, really lovely fella. Please give him my love. Work together at 120 Sports. Oh, that's so sweet. I, yeah. I feel similarly to him and i'm so happy to see him on bn yeah and all the success that he's had down there he's become like the soccer dude dude now. like like a year ago so i live in los angeles and a year ago i was no maybe it was it was october so i was i was sitting in a bar in westwood uh i was supposed to be on a date i was waiting for the the it was like a first date i was waiting for uh the the, the woman i was going to meet to show up and I was like, you know, drinking a beer, and I and I look up, and my cousin's on TV. <laughs> How crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, well, it was the game. I found out after the fact it was the match where the U.S. lost, and it disqualified them from World Cup. So he what I and like a total like idiot noob, and I know better. I text him, I'm like, I see you on TV, not even thinking like, <laughs> yeah, you know, bro's not gonna check his phone for a while, you know. He's working right <laughs> He's now. He's working, yeah. But people text people text me on like comic book panels sometimes, and I write back, like I respond because I don't. I mean, it's just it's just a panel, you know. But it's different when you're on air uh, on. on or so on wait, TV. Let, let me bring you back from yeah. the tangent. Oh, sorry, I'm a better rewriter than writer. 
Because we were talking about how you have kind of equal loves yes. for both comics and film. Yeah. So so where did the love for comics start? It came from film. Um, so I grew up, I'm, I just, last week, I turned 33 last week. So I grew up in the era where, like, the stuff we have now was not even close to being comparable. Um, so the big things for me were the Ninja Turtles, especially that 1990 movie, the Steve Barron movie. And then Richard Donner's Superman, uh, which I had on like a Betamax tape, uh, Superman 2, and then Burton's Batman. And so through those movies, I then discovered comic books. I also discovered the animated series shows of that era, um, you know, the Batman animated series in 92, and then in 95, Spider-Man, um, as well as like old episodes of like the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk show. Uh, the old um, Toei Spider-Man show from the 70s. Like, I was desperate just seeking anything, you know, that was superhero-related. And I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, superheroes, depending on the way you're raised or, or your upbringing or, or just, just what your life is like, are, are a combination of um, wish fulfillment as well as the promise of a safety net, you know? Mm. And, and so for me, it was both. I mean, I, I was massively bullied, massively bullied in school. Um, really, like, from, like, the probably, like, fourth grade on, maybe earlier. Well, no, for, I mean, my mom told me, reminded me yesterday of, of something, like, from first grade I, we were talking about. Like, it was just bad. I was just always very sensitive, and I was the oldest, and so I didn't have any of that, any of those calluses that you probably develop with older siblings, you know? And... um so superheroes to me were like, it was like, how is no one talking about these, <laughs> you know, as a kid? Like, because they just weren't prominent uh, growing up. So like they would be today. Um, and so then I would make these little movies with my dad and my sister. And then I started discovering the comic books probably around the age of, of probably eight or nine, ten, somewhere in there. Um and it was like, oh, I can like mainline this stuff every month, every week. <laughs> but it was also that era of Marvel where, um, you know, Spider-Man, there was the clone, who I still love, by the way. Great concept, poorly executed. Uh, the clone saga, Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider. And I would go to the grocery store and just pick up whatever was there. But the problem was there were four Spider-Man titles and part one was in one monthly series, and part two was in a different series, and part three was in a different series from that. And so you would never get stuff in the right order at grocery stores. And so then I think probably around the age of like 13, I actually discovered comic book stores proper, and the Nightwing series had just started. So I guess it would have been, uh, maybe I was 12 at that point, 11 or 12, and the Nightwing series with Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel had just started. And it was a low enough number. It was like issue 14 or 16, somewhere in there, that it was like, oh, I could just I could jump up. into this. I can catch up and go back and find you know old stuff, et cetera. And that became my first like monthly series like I read every single issue of. So to go from you picking up and deciding that Nightwing was going to be the series that you you mm -hmm. read to then creating a Nightwing series and writing Nightwing series, right, right. that's... That's got to be a dream come true. Yeah, it is. Um, it's complicated, 
And there were a lot of stops in on the way to that. Um, and also, I think that the Nightwing series you're talking about. The New Order stuff, which I, Order. I, yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. Thank you. Thank you. It, it, it made my day, and it, it, it had a, a DC universe that I thought was fascinating to yeah. live in. So and that book in particular is, um, that's kind of my epilogue. Because I wrote the main Nightwing book for three years before that. And I did not have a good time on that book. And it's the book and the work that I'm probably the best known for within comics. And it's, it's always, uh, it's a double-edged sword because um, I, he's my all-time, all-time favorite character. And there's work in there that I am proud of, but by and large, uh, it's a painful book to revisit because it's, it's a series filled with what could have been. And that's the nature of the game uh, in, in anything in media, but definitely in comics. Um, you know, I, they gave me that book when I was 26, um, and I'd only had a handful of things published before that. And you see that a lot in comics. You see, like, and I, and I, I can say this now as someone who is uh, on the other side of it uh, and has work to their name, um, a lot of editors and a lot of publishers seemingly um, are more interested are more interested in the blind potential of a creator than a creator who they know what they're going to get from. And it's like that boomer bust mentality, you know. So like, they gave me Nightwing at twenty six, where I'd never even written a full mini series before. I'd never written an ongoing series, but the way the politics shake shaked out at that time I was the guy for the job on top of some other things uh and the work that got me that book ultimately like the way that we built the series Gates of Gotham which ultimately got me Nightwing uh the situation that was surrounding that basically they said well yeah you're not going to have that anymore you know like basically the thing that made my work attractive ultimately was the thing that got stifled. Um, and it was a product of the era, uh, at DC. I mean, DC was, you know, in their defense, they were relaunching their company and relaunching the line. This was back in 2011. And they were basically taking 75 years of continuity and stories. And they were setting it aside to launch with new number ones and to try to reinvent the brand and uh, all of their characters. But then it got a little muddy, you know? It was like, well, all the, none of the continuity stands except for Batman and Green Lantern, for example. I was like, okay. But we can't... Oh, but you can't reference that continuity overtly, but sort of. And so it was like, well, how do I write a Nightwing series... And, by the way, at the same time, I was writing Deathstroke. Hmm. And for eight months, I wrote those two series concurrently. And I couldn't have those characters meet, not because I asked and they said no, but because I couldn't figure out if they knew each other. Because the Bat continuity stood, and Deathstroke, for anyone, for, for most listeners, I would imagine, they, like, 
Nightwing probably don't know, but Nightwing and Deathstroke are enemies. Like Deathstroke was a villain in Teen Titans, and in Teen Titans it was the sidekicks led by Robin, and then Robin quit and he became his own new hero named Nightwing because Deathstroke took all of his friends hostage. So they have a very um, deep, rich, complicated history. They're kind of natural adversaries. And if you have one writer writing Nightwing and Deathstroke, you would imagine like, well, that feels like a natural kind of uh, fusion for, for two books. Maybe not for a crossover, but for, for some semblance of interaction, you know? And we just couldn't, you know, make it work. There were two different offices. And more importantly, I couldn't figure out the continuity of it all. And, and ultimately, like, there were, there were several times, multiple times. I don't think I've ever told anyone this before, by the way. Um, there were multiple times where I almost quit that book. And I, I remember I re- writing issue four and and talking to the editor about i think at issue 7 i'm going to say goodbye and bow out i was so miserable i was so so miserable and uh i remember driving to uh the university of iowa which is where i went to college for the first 2 years before i transferred to chapman in orange county and my dad and i drove out to iowa to go to a hawkeyes game i hadn't been there this was 2011 i hadn't been there since i left in 2005 and I got us like I bought tickets for us like I bought us 50 yard line seats like I was so excited to watch a game again and and we were sitting in the parking lot before the game talking about this and what was happening on the book and my dad doesn't know anything about comics like in the industry but he understands corporate kind of culture Um, and he gave me really good advice which was like you know, you're brand new at this, you're very new to the industry, and you're very new to writing a monthly book, do you think that writing more of this book will make you a better writer? And I thought about it, and, you know, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I was like, well, you know, not under this, in this environment. And he said, Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But everything you do is going to teach you something, right? Like even if you're putting, and I'm like, yeah, but like books are going out with my name on it that I'm not proud of, and I know aren't very good, but they're, you know, they're they're compromises with higher ups, with editorial, with a whole variety of you know host of issues that we don't have time to get into on, <laughs> we got, on this podcast. But we got as much time as you need, and um, and so. Finally, I, I heard and understood what he was saying, and I didn't try to leave. Like, I called back the editor, and I was like, no, 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 let's just, let's keep going, and let's, you know. And, and what's funny is, like, I think about that now, and I think about, on the one hand, it's like, man, like, people people kill for an ongoing series opportunity like that. And I knew it then, too. It's like, this is a great platform, and... Ride this out, 
and it'll lead to other things. The problem was, especially in comics, um, what tends to happen is uh, you put out work. Let me walk you through a quick. This is this is typically the trajectory that you see at, at big two, big two comics or big two uh, companies, and this is this is not everyone, and this is. It's just I've seen it happen many times to new creators. Someone gets hired on a big book uh, because of their voice. They come in and they are told, hey, we love you on this. We want you to do this for us. Now, a lot of times that conversation happens because another company is nipping at their heels going, well, we want to hire so-and-so for, we'll just call him, we'll call him Writer X, or we'll call she Writer X. Doesn't doesn't matter. Writer X does a creator-owned or does something big two somewhere else, doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, company A goes, hey, Writer X, you'd be great on our little thing over here. Writer X comes in, does the job. It's fine. Company A might say, okay, well, you know, we know what we have now. Company B might go, oh, company A is hiring Writer X. What's this? Like, what can Writer X? Okay, well, that could be, what is Writer X done? Doesn't matter. Like, company A wants Writer X. Let's go talk to Writer X as company B and see if we can pull them away, right? And so it becomes this, like, kind of bidding war for this new writer services. Does company A then go, well, wait, if company B exactly wants Writer X, then we need to look a little harder in what we're doing with Writer X. Exactly. Exactly. And Writer X, meanwhile, may not have actually put out anything that is um, more than a couple issues long. Not always. Not always. Like there are like there are a lot of writers who have done creator-owned or smaller publishers for years before they get a shot at a place like the Big Two. There are a lot of writers who don't even want a shot at the Big Two. Although, you know, it, it's a tough gig to turn down. Um, so what then happens is Writer X makes a decision and Writer X starts doing more work at either company A or company B. And then the very things that made Writer X interesting within that company environment where there is editorial, which is not your enemy, like editorial is there to make the best book possible. But sometimes there are other interests at play as well from higher up, from corporate, from there's a, it's any industry. So, so does the voice get muted? So yes. whatever, whatever that person made them special and drew the attention of company A, they come in and say, well, we want you to do this. And then you say, well, all right, great. I want to do A, B, C, and D. And they go, nope. Exactly. And then you're stuck exactly. being muted. And that's and and ultimately, like the thing you realize and have to figure out is like you weren't actually really being hired for that voice. You were sort of being hired for that, but maybe you were being hired. For, let me rephrase that. You may have been hired for that voice, but you were ultimately employed to try, figure out how to fit your voice within the confines of the larger line which I totally understand. And it took me it took me a while to figure that out, you know? Like 
ultimately at big two comics, and by big two I mean Marvel and DC, you are uh, you are a manager of IP at -hmm. the end of the day. You know, like Stan Lee puts it way better uh, over the years where he's like, it's about the illusion of change, you know. Ultimately, you're there to push characters in new directions, but to not break them, you know. Or or if you break them to understand that everything you did is going to get undone. Like, that's just the nature of serial storytelling, you know. Um, but it's a, it, like I said, it's a... It's a catch-22 because say you come in to either company A or company B as writer X and you figure that out and now you're going to play by the rules and and you're going to work on these books that they want you to work on and you're going to work with editorial and you're going to take every single note that's given to you. If the book isn't good and the book isn't selling, it doesn't matter how well you played ball you get blamed for it. You get blamed for it um, commercially. You get blamed for it critically. You get blamed for it within the company. And so it's kind of like, well, I, I've seen it happen both ways. I've seen writers come in and, and buck the system and fight the notes. And some of them have, it's worked out for them and they've popped in a big way. I've seen other writers come in and do the same thing and they don't get jobs anymore. Man, that's hard. That's really rough. So it's like, which path do you want to take? You know, what advice would you give someone who wants to write comic books? Well, the great news is that if you want to write comic books, you can, um, you're, you're actually, you're alluding to two different questions because if you want to write comic books in 2018, it, the market and the industry has never been more accessible than it is now. If you want to make books, then all you need is to find a collaborator, unless you draw yourself. If you draw yourself and you're a cartoonist, great. But if you're just purely a writer, it's about finding an artist to collaborate with, to develop a pitch, or to just write the series yourself, and either the artist is going to draw the whole thing or they're going to draw sample pages so you can try to bring it to a larger publisher it depends on what your ultimate goal for said project is. You can put it online as a webcomic. You can try to walk into different publishers at conventions, blind submissions, that sort of thing. But the underlying sentiment is still the same. If you want to make comics, make comics, which kind of then tees up the second question of yours, which is like, well, how do you make comics for a living? You have to have comics. <laughs> so like you have to have work for people to be willing to hire you to make more work um, I always tell people like especially writers if that's what they want to do for a living then they have to figure out how to put together actual finished comic books even if it's an eight page sample and they say well you know that's hard I don't have a lot of money um, it's, it's just a you know it's, it's a really tough thing to do and I totally understand and empathize but unfortunately no one's going to read your script and actually finishing pages meaning you write a script an artist comes in illustrates it a colorist comes in colors it and then a pro letterer I cannot emphasize that enough comes in and letters the book 
all of a sudden you have what's called an ash can where you can show that eight page sample to a publisher, to an editor, you know, to other creators. That's, that's the other thing people don't talk about a lot is like we as creators are very, very approachable. And we, if we see stuff we like, we want to help. We want to tee people up. People don't talk about that enough. You know, I'm with you 100% on that because it, it happens in my industry too. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is that people like to talk about the work that they do because ideally they're passionate about it. And if you ask someone, I believe in the concept of lift as you climb, like that's a big thing for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if you ask me about doing a talk show or doing a podcast, I can talk to you about it all day. You know, and there are different things that I think are valuable to lessons and there are lessons to be learned, both positive and negative experiences. And some of the stuff that I've learned doing radio, the most powerful stuff has been stuff that's been negative that I've said, Mm. okay, I'm never, ever going to be like that person. I'm never, ever going to treat an intern this way or producer this way. There's There's a lot that can be learned from it, but sometimes people feel uncomfortable they they don't feel comfortable enough to ask and there are plenty of people like you said that are willing to give of themselves and and talk about what it is they love doing yeah and you know i i love your podcast by the way thank you i've listened to all i mean technically it's three episodes but episode two is a two-parter yes i've listened to them all with a cliffhanger it's a great cliffhanger, too. <laughs> at, the, at the end of part one, there yeah. was a cliffhanger. Yes. And, and look, I don't even say this as a at-heart Chicago guy. I say this as someone who is fascinated by worlds. And, you know, a world can be a job. It can be a career. It can be a Jack Kirby fourth wall, you know, universe, right? Like, I, a, as a writer, I come in, and, and whether I'm hired or I'm doing it as a creator-owned project, I am coming in to take a concept or to take uh, an aspect of our day-to-day lives or characters and find something interesting to do with them, right? Something that is both specific but relatable. Um, I often say that I get hired to world build, but more importantly, I get hired to find the most emotional, thematic, and morally interesting path through that world, right? The thing that actually illustrates what's interesting about that world, about that concept. So to hear interviews with people who do, A, really, really interesting things, in, in my opinion, and B, listening to, like, the really fine points of what they do. Like, for starters, let's just talk for a second. Benetti is, can I swear on this? Sure. Not? Benetti is fucking hysterical. Like, that dude is funny as hell. Like, you can just tell. He has a dry sense of humor, and he is smart as a whip. And to hear him talking about keeping score and the day-to-day, like what goes into the prep with, um, with, with Steve Stone and how he kind of the, – the, um, the dichotomy between what he thought he was going to do and his uh, – I mean, you guys discussed – disabilities on the podcast Mm -hmm. versus what how he was able to channel that it sounds like in some cases he still feels like well you know i'm not running a marathon right like it's not the thing but i'm here to tell you like he's really good at what he does like disability aside it doesn't matter it it doesn't matter like the dude is a 
killer play-by-play guy. He's got a fantastic voice, and he has built, as you put it on the podcast, like his dream job. Well, that doesn't happen overnight. No. You know? He put in the work and was in these small arenas and small ball fields, and I love that. Like, And this is where, you know, in, in part of the way that I tell stories has been affected by my love for comic books, comic book television shows, comic book movies. I love origin stories. Yeah. I think they're fascinating. So you get a person like Jason Benetti and you try and figure out how do they get to where they are and what was it that kept them from taking another path? Like how did they end up here? Hearing Cheryl Scott talk about the wizard of Oz and having that, I was just going to say that having that click like, Oh, this is crazy. I'm going to now start studying like, weather. By the way, if I wrote that as an origin, I would get pegged as like <laughs> Mr. Ham-fisted, like, could you be any more on the nose? Oh, also, my 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 uh, microphone just kicked into my cans. Oh, it did? You yeah. Didn't, you didn't tell me. I would have fixed that. Oh, that's so much better. I, I was wondering why you were one flapping I it. One, well, I used to, we were talking about this before. I used to, I was a sound editor. And so I was like, well, I'm just, we're just going to rock it, man. Like, we're just going to do it. But oh, yeah, I'm so happy I now myself. that that's going on. Oh, that's so much. What changed? Did we? Hit I don't something? know. I, maybe there's a short. I'm guessing there's a it's short. Probably a short in the in in, in, in the, the 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 headphone wire. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. I can but feel but it yeah, now. and like so, like it, at least from the people that I've talked to you so far, Benetti and his origin, Cheryl and her origin with Wizard of Oz, Jason being a kid, uh, you know, the child of immigrants, yeah, and and radio being a lifeline for them in Belize and. And how they got here, and that's how they're assimilating. And it, then he turns into a big yeah. radio star. Yeah. Like those, all of those things are, are fascinating. I mean, honestly, I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I actually wrote, I wrote on Twitter the other night because you and I were texting about when I was gonna come in to do this. And I wrote on Twitter the other night that I had, I had listened to it all. And after Cheryl's uh, interview, I, had, I needed to figure out, I needed to up my game. <laughs> Like I'm not lying. Like that's probably why I'm fr- talking a little out of school here. As I, far as I appreciate it, like I, I I want people when they come in to trust that that they have a a space where they can talk about all sorts of stuff. And I mean, I worked with Cheryl for a really long time, and I I know her better than most. Mm-hmm. And so in that interview, I wanted people to. She's delightful, by the she way. She really is. Yeah. And I wanted people to see her the way that I see her. And and what our relationship is like because it's hard it's hard to have done it justice when people ask me about it. So I wanted to let people meet her, and and I hope that they did. It, it sounds like you, you appreciated listening to her talk about it. And, and the thing that well, I'll t- I'll tell you a quick funny story sure. actually. So I followed her. I follow her on Inst- uh, uh, so Twitter and Instagram, and it started before the podcast. And it started because. I, I grew up in the south suburbs, right? As we talked about here, and although I didn't know, I don't know if we talked about it on air because you hit record before we even. You're a sneaky dude. <laughs> I, I always got the, I got the thing going immediately. <laughs> so I grew up in the southwest suburbs, and I moved away to uh, Los Angeles when I was 20. Uh, I went to the University of Iowa for two years, from 18 to 20, and then moved proper, you know, to Orange County uh, at 20, and then moved up to LA at you know, 22 and have been there since. So I left 13 years ago, right? Here's the thing. (laughs) I love my parents. I have a fantastic relationship with my parents. They're still together. They're in the Southwest suburbs. 
Like my mom grew up in, in Orland Park. My dad grew up in uh, Roseland. Like me. Mm-hmm. Right I know on. this because we, well, sort of had a conversation. You and I didn't have a conversation about this. But my, my, my wife and you had a conversation. Your wife and I had a conversation about this. <laughs> at, the, at the Cubs game. We totally did. And uh, so my dad grew up in Roseland. And then, uh, you know, my, my grandma and grandpa were in Homewood uh, growing up. So we'd go over there all the time. Anyway, so, so I leave. And uh, the thing that, like, it's a cliche for a reason because it's true. When you talk to people in places with intense weather. Tornado Alley. The first thing they will bring up to you when you call is what's going on with the weather. So my parents, like to this day, like I'll call from L.A. I'll be like, hey, how's it going? Well, you know, the snow here is it's pretty intense, you know, or or, um, it's really nice out today. It's 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 85. I might go shirtless. You know, it's my dad talking. Right. And uh, and, you know, then I'll text uh, when it's really bad. I'll text photos of my thermostat in my car because it's (laughs) always 75. Always. Okay. That's so cruel. So this is my long-winded way of getting to. I started following Cheryl to see the weather in Chicago so that when I called home, I could preemptively say, it looks like, you know, I saw the next couple days, like, it's going to be a cold front coming in. And 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 you're on board with what's going and on. And my dad otherwise. would say, "Yeah, like I just I don't know if the Cubs are going to get this game in tonight, you know." And by the way, this is a new thing. My dad watching the Cubs. He's a diehard, you know, White Sox fan. But There's not a lot to watch for another couple years with the White. Well, Sox. he's retired too, so he's he's watching like he's watching F1, he's watching NASCAR, he's watching you know fucking hay bale like thrown over the shoulders my like, dad is anything watching that's on any judge show now yeah. is apparently what my dad is watching <laughs> yeah. in, in his retirement i don't have a lot of time left oh yeah but I, I wanted to ask you yeah what's the work that you're most proud of and why so the book that you cited earlier nightwing the new order i'm super super proud of um because you know to bring it all back i did this run on nightwing i did a few other things at dc and then I kind of bowed out. I went to Image. I did some creator-owned books at Image, one of which is called Cowl, which is about the Chicago Organized Workers League, which is the first superhero labor union of 1960 Chicago. It's based on a film I directed in college called The League, uh, which when I finished it at 22, 23, is how I got a job writing at Marvel in the first place because the editor-in-chief, Joe Casada, saw it online and emailed me and somewhat a friend, an illustrator had emailed everyone in the industry he knew saying, like, hey, you should check out the short film because he had designed all the characters for the film. So I'm eternally grateful to him. His name's Eric White, Philly guy. And uh, Joe Casada wrote back and was like, hey, this is great. Like, if there's ever anything you can do for I can do for you, let me know. And I was like, are you, are you ever looking for new writers? You know, I was, I was delivering paint for Sherwin Williams and ultimately would then start working as a sound editor at, at Hollywood Ed and, Edge and Sound Deluxe. And. And Joe's like, we're always looking for new writers. Like, what kind of characters do you like? And I told him, he's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send this film out to all my senior editorial. And if, you know, we'll see who bites. Because I find it's best for you to pitch under them rather than me directly. And Tom Brevoort watched it. I think liked it. I've never actually asked him. But he emailed me. And I pitched to Marvel for a year, landed an issue of Captain America. And then 
a, a one shot for the Avengers, and then from there started doing work at DC. So when I left the DC work, I was like, I want to go back to the thing that got me this stuff in the first place and the world that I built, which was for the league. And I rebranded it as Cowl and did that series. So that's a Cowl is, is super, super close to my heart. Um, and B, it was the beginning of this kind of trajectory that took me away from kind of big two books. So when I went back to DC to do Nightwing the New Order, it was kind of a like, hey, I have unfinished business with this character, you know? And I've got this idea and it's a little crazy. And as we were talking before about like coming in and finding the path through it that gives you the most interesting, emotional and thematic, thematically resonant material the premise is that it's a it's a it's an alternate future version of the DC universe where there are no more superpowers and something happened 10 15 years earlier where Nightwing detonated a device and it basically neutralized 90% of the world's superpowers like that. So if that's your premise, what's your way into that, right? Well, his 12-year-old son just happens to have superpowers. Okay, that's a low-hanging fruit idea. That's like your natural, like, oh, yeah, of course. There's the, the conflict. There's the conflict. The thing he believes is now undercut by something personal to him. Okay, I get it. But what the story really is about is taking that concept and that way in and then saying, how do children look up to their parents, especially when their parents were superheroes, right? And so it becomes a story of legacy and it's, and it's generations. And it's the people we think our parents are versus the people they actually are, right? And there's a line in the first issue, which is eventually every part of growing up is every child learning the truth that their parents aren't superheroes even when they used to be. So it's this story of a 12-year-old boy helping his dad find his way again, right? Now you're getting into something that I hope is is interesting and relatable on a, on a very kind of human level, right? So I point to that book as the thing that I'm, especially at the Marvel DC side of things, that I'm most proud of. I do this, I do the Power Rangers series now, and I'm wrapping up my time on it. Um, and it's been, it's been a series that uh, I never in a million years could have written had I not gone through a bit of the grinder earlier in my career on the DC side of things, you know? Because um, I learned so much from that, not only politically, but as a storyteller. And now this Power Rangers run is kind of like proof of like, well, here's here's what I can do, and here's yeah, it's just very, it's just a very, it's a very pure kind of reimagining of that of that property. But I wouldn't have been able to do it, you know, seven eight years ago. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm a Huge Chicago guy, Chicago sports guy. Like you and I have s sort of known each other for years. Yeah. So yeah, this is my pleasure. I, I really appreciate this. And um, there's going to be a part two to this at yeah, some point. Yeah, anytime. The anytime. next time that you come back to town, we need to do because there. I, I want to talk about film. I want to talk about uh, the Power Rangers stuff with you. But I'm very happy that you. you yeah, were able sorry, to we kind of scatter shot here. Yeah, didn't we? that's okay. Like <laughs> that's that's kind of the idea. We don't have to stay on track. It doesn't have to be linear. We can story tell all over the place, and hopefully people will enjoy it. Yeah. So thanks for this. Yeah, my pleasure. I hope you got something out of what Kyle had to say. There's a lot of meat on that bone to 
to kind of sift through. And it's interesting to see that even in that world, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know, which is it's fascinating to get his take on it. I would have never thought that the comic book industry is as rigid as Kyle was making it out to be. I enjoy my conversation with him, and I guarantee you that he will be back on the podcast the next time that, that he is in town. So I wanted to thank you for spending time and listening, especially if you're not a comic book geek. I know that, that this is not for everyone when I geek out, but this was the whole point of the podcast, to do something different from time to time. So I wanted to thank you for that. I promise you we'll have something cool next week. As you can see, we're improving on the audio. I appreciate the feedback. I'm working to make it as perfect as possible. But in trying to get things done, I just wanted to get some of the voices out there. And now I'm, I'm taking more time when it comes to the audio aspect of this. So thanks for being patient. I appreciate it. And we'll be back next Tuesday. We'll have another podcast for you. We're trying to do this on Tuesdays. And next Tuesday, we will have something downloaded for you. Thanks for your support of House of L. If you're on iTunes, give us five stars. We'd appreciate that. If you're direct downloading, we appreciate you too. See you next time.